Yes, I'd like to welcome you to the next, and I would call this a special edition of Crosscut Maker Radio. Not really special, but obviously I'm recording this on March 18th, 2020. And so it's been about a week or so since, well, basically the world has changed drastically with the uh, COVID-19 virus. And um, it's almost incredible that, you know, I, like many people, lived through 9-11. And it was kind of like one of those, it was one of those times when you knew exactly where you were when the first plane hit, where you were when the second plane hit, and on on and on throughout the day. And most people probably thought, well, that'd probably be the biggest, most uh, catastrophic thing they lived through. But this is, in my opinion, uh, this coronavirus pandemic is dwarfing 9-11 now by the way the world has reacted to it. Um, I mean, basically, if you, it's almost incredible that the world has almost shut down in almost every country. Borders have shut down. Uh, all travel has shut down. Stores have been uh, either closed on their own or forced to close. Gatherings, churches, everything's just canceled. It's almost... It's incredible. And as you know, this is a, you know, I'm a Christian, and this is a Christian ministry, and um, and things are so bad. I mean, obviously, this is the only thing that anybody's talking about because it's affecting every single person's life. That people, even people who don't know much about uh, the Bible or Christianity or anything are asking is, are these the end times? Is this the end of the world? Or, you know, where does it go from here? And I typically, as somebody, I do discuss eschatology. If you have uh, read, you know, my website is crosscutcommentaries.simplesite.com. And uh, so I do eschatology. I have taught on eschatology. I'm passionate about eschatology. and um, But I typically shy away from applying it to anything current going on until recently. Now, it's not just with the coronavirus, but over the past, I'd say, year and a half, maybe, there have been some incredible developments that do, in my opinion, uh, perfectly set the stage for biblical end times. And, uh, and a couple things up front. We're not in the tribulation period. There's a... Uh, a lot of people just kind of think this is a, a seal being broken or seals. Basically, the, the uh, book of Revelation is broken down into seven seals. Seventh seal is uh, seven trumpets, and then the seventh trumpet is seven bowls. And so you have those judgments pouring out. And so people are trying to line this up with the one with pestilences or it's the fourth horse, fourth, ho- fourth horseman. And so there are actually a lot of people believing we are in the tribulation period. And that is just flat out. I'll just say that up front. That's the one thing I'll very clearly say to anybody, Christian or not, we are not in the tribulation period. That's for sure. Now, setting aside the rapture, I do believe the rapture happens before the tribulation period. But even, let's just set that aside. The tribulation period begins with a very specific, particular time period agreement between Israel is involved in many nations, and of course the the man either out front in the negotiation or by himself in the negotiation is you know the Antichrist is the one who makes that deal. That's what that's what begins 
the seven-year tribulation period is a peace agreement. It is a very specific, visible, physical thing that can be observed. And that has not happened yet. That has not happened yet. That's why a lot of Christians became very interested and are still interested in the Trump um, deal of the century negotiations with the Middle East and Israel because thought, well, this you know, a peace agreement, Israel involved, could this be the one? And I'm not saying it can't develop. Obviously, nothing has come about. Uh, nothing was signed. Um, things were beginning to be implemented on Israel's side, but basically, you know, everything's been shut down with the with the COVID-19 virus. But it was not a, a seven-year peace agreement, so it was not the. It is not, or as it's at least as it's structured right now, it will not be the seven-year peace agreement that triggers the tribulation period. But could it be something as a foundation that is shaped into something? And obviously, I think the environment over there, and this is one of the things that I, I have begun to take notice of, um, the legitimate biblical signs is one of them, you, if you know Israel has to sign a peace agreement to start the tribulation period, well, then you, you need an environment where Israel wants peace. And clearly we have that. And you see even, you know, just, just a month ago before the virus, the people were talking about the world being out of control, and a lot of, and a big portion of that was, I mean, just about every day, Israel would have rockets flying into their country, and they would be bombing Syria and Iran, tensions and just incredible tension in the Middle East. And and again, with the uh, Trump deal of the century, and just ongoing peace talks and ongoing desire for Israel to have a peace agreement, is so, certainly a biblical indicator that it is highly possible that we could be approaching the time where that peace deal would be made. So there's the first, first, the first thing I always talk about when it comes to indicators that we could be approaching the end of the age is obviously Israel being a country. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people, myself included, I've always, I was born in 1971, so Israel has always been a country as long as I've been alive and so I've never known a world without Israel but that obviously from 70 AD to 1948 you didn't have the country Israel and so you needed the country Israel before the the tribulation period to begin because it's it's about Israel and it's about their repentance um, and so the very first indicator was 1948 Israel became a country and so that's a legitimate sign or a legitimate indicator that was necessary for biblical end times to begin. Um, and again, as I just talked about, the second indicator I talk about is they they are in they have a higher high desire for a peace deal. They want peace. They want a peace agreement. And there's obviously been negotiations going on basically since they've been a country. And again, all the way up into including to the current time we live in now. Now, the third one I talk about is something that is relatively new. And it addresses the Ezekiel. There's a, there's a war in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that deals with certain countries invading Israel. And it is a future war. It's an end times war. Now, I've, I've always struggled with how that fits into the exact uh, timetable of the, of the tribulation. Is it pre-tribulation uh, war or is it in the middle of the tribulation or is it the end of the tribulation? And I, the best I could do to narrow it down is I believe it's, it is a... A war that happens sometime towards the end of the first half of the tribulation period and then kind of works its way through the second half and culminates in Armageddon but that's that's just you know 
the best I could do with the timing. It's always been a very difficult thing to time out. But the, uh, the, the thing that is very noticeable now is the three primary countries that are involved in that. There's other countries. The three primary countries that are involved in that are Russia, Iran, and Turkey. And obviously, if you watch any of the Middle Eastern news, you see that Russia, Iran, and Turkey are all directly north of Israel and Syria. And, and, and more importantly, now it's kind of taken a step back over the past month or two, but or the past month, is that they've, they've been forming an alliance. Okay, now I know, like I just said, about, I think, two or three weeks ago, actually, Turkey and Russia were, were warring against each other. But they have since uh, settled that down, and they have some kind of a little temporary ceasefire. And so, you know, whether they, ultimately, they will be allied with each other, along with Iran and along with other countries, including Libya, that will invade Israel sometime. There's a very specifically detailed in Ezekiel 38. So a lot of people with biblical uh, end time eschatology knowledge begin to take note when Syria, I'm sorry, Turkey, Russia, and Iran all began to form this semi-coalition and it's all very near Israel and uh, and there, it's getting, becoming very aggressive now. Obviously Iran is being very aggressive with Israel and with the United States. And we got ongoing conflicts there, and Turkey is is they're looking to expand their empire back to back when it was the Ottoman Empire, and of course Russia is always uh, being very aggressive, and their economy is in big trouble. Of course, this latest virus and the economic shutdown that's come with that, and the plummeting fuel prices or oil prices is really affecting Russia. And it appears, you know, it's referred to as a hook in the jaw in uh, Ezekiel, and which is God's way of drawing them down. And there's there, and it seems to be plunder, or they, they, they invade. That war is about monetary gain. And so you see those, the Iranian economy and the Russian economy in very, very bad shape. And then Turkey, I'm not exactly sure exactly what their, the shape of their economy is, but I imagine it's not very good either. But we know that the uh, motivation for that invasion is economic. They come for Israel's uh, plunder. And so that is, that is a very specific, visible, uh, prophetic uh, foundation that you can look at and say, okay, that sets the table for that. So you got that there. You got Israel nation. You got their, their desire for a peace. You got just anarchy, basically, over in the Middle East. You've got Syria, Russia. Iran, Libya is involved in these things now, and so you've got the people, the countries who are involved in the Ezekiel 38 war right there. See, so, you know, and again, stage settings is what I call this. I just, again, we're not in the tribulation period, and and I and I, I believe, in my opinion, you know, even though I set the rapture aside there for a minute, I'm saying I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I believe that's the that's the catastrophic accelerant that causes everything to go towards this peace deal and it just pushes everything forward you know it's, it's hard to believe that that'll be the uh, that will be a global event that will make the COVID-19 crisis here look like nothing else look like nothing by comparison it will be massive massive well basically every true born, most every true born again Christian will be raptured up to be with the Lord and, and I think there's going to be, people will know it, and it will be a cataclysmic event. Again, I, I tend to, for whatever reason, not 
discuss the rapture a whole ton when I'm talking about prophetic uh, stage setting because it just, I don't know, for whatever reason, people tend to think of the rapture in a... And at first, we don't know specifically. Obviously, that's a, that's a not something that it will just happen. That's the next biblical event that will... That will, again, in my opinion, precede the tribulation, and, and it's unsigned. That is, say it will, it will just, it will happen instantly, and then that'll that'll change the world, create this environment. But you don't even need that. You don't even need to talk about the rapture. Like I said, you you have these other things that are stage setting, and of course, uh, the fourth one I typically talk about is the the a legitimate, a legitimate desire for Israel to build their temple, build their third temple. They are they are actually sacrificing animals now. They have uh, they've they say they can build the temple within a year or two. Um, they have the utensils and all those things ready to go. And they also now have recently uh, been developing red heifers, which is the the biblical they're trying to meet the standard biblical standards for sacrificing an animal and I, I don't know enough about this to be super knowledgeable but it's is the red heifer and they've got two of them supposedly that are that are either qualified or right there ready to be qualified and so they're, but they're they're very serious about having that third temple now and that's a new that's a relatively new thing Israel has pretty much for the most part since they become a country not been overly interested in in sacrificing animals and having their third temple now and but they are now and again, I've, I've talked about this before. I think a lot of it is just the environment now of desperation. They see, you know, it's kind of like when you're when you got nothing to lose, you're willing to go for things and press for things and push for things that you normally wouldn't. And so, with the world environment like it is, even before the coronavirus, you have Israel in situations of uh, you know, they they see the countries around them, they see their capabilities. And they're worried about that. So I, and this is a, just an opinion of mine. I believe that it gives them an attitude of, okay, we might we're <laughs> kind of like you're back against the wall. You start reaching out and wanting to do things that you, you normally would have put aside because you know a third temple will create massive problems. Because it's got to be put either right next to or the, uh, the mosque there would have to go. And so you know immediately this is going to cause massive problems and that's why I've, I believe they've always just kind of set that aside because they don't they don't desire they haven't desired it on this on the par with the problems that they would they know it would cause but now that things are different like I said I think some of it's desperation I think some of it is they they feel like they have a, a, a friend in President Trump who uh, and that makes them a little more bold too and I know not everybody over in Israel wants the third temple and everything but there's a my point here is there's legitimate discussion about it and there's legitimate desire and that I've, I've ever since when I first got saved and started studying in times the one thing I learned really quick was the real legitimate indicator is there's got to be a third temple there because the Antichrist who makes the deal with Israel at the beginning of the you know the seven-year peace deal we talked about he he what what triggers the the great tribulation is the second half the second three and a half years is he sits in the temple. He can't. He says he stops the animal sacrifices. So you know there has to be animal sacrifices. There has to be a temple. And in, in order for that event to occur, it's called the abomination of desolation. And so you, I've always known. Well, you 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 got to have a temple. And I've always kind of assumed. 
that, and I still do, I think it'll be part of that peace agreement. I think it'll be something that pulls Israel in and they won't be full, fully ready to do the seven-year peace agreement, but maybe one of the selling points will be, okay, you can have your third temple. And, and the way they look at it, it's it, and this is where I, you know, I don't even necessarily think it'll cause all that much conflict anymore, because the, the way they look at it, it's a world temple. It's a temple for everybody. It's not a specific Jewish temple, per se, for them. It's just a world temple, and with all the religions can participate. And so I think there's just, just more of a ecumenical idea to the temple now. And, um, and I've always felt like, well, but pulling back here, I, I believe that that will be part of that peace deal. That'll be a big chunk of satisfaction to Israel that will make them enter into this agreement, in my opinion. Again, it could, they could have the third temple plans before the agreement, or they could start to build it, and so it's ready, and then, tribulation, and then the, the peace agreement has nothing to do with it. But I've always thought that that will be part of the deal and then they will build it in the first year maybe a year and a half two years and then they'll begin their animal sacrifices and then that'll give them about a year to a year and a half of animal sacrifices before the antichrist stops that and sits and sits himself in the temple and, and declares that he is god and of course that blows everything up the jews immediately know this guy was not for them he was against them and then all heck breaks loose in israel and so but so that's kind of the, but the idea is you see that, you see the stage setting for the desire for that third temple now. It's something that they, there's a lot of legitimate interest in. And there's, like I said, you can go on YouTube and search the uh, Temple Institute and listen to those people talk and, and see videos of them already sacrificing animals and they're trying to build an altar and there's a lot of really incredible things happening with that issue. And again, that is a real indicator. It's not, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I typically don't talk about eschatology uh, when it comes to news events, because there are a lot of people, in my opinion, and some of them I've learned a lot from, but it's like they go way too far for whatever reason. Esch eschatological people who get it right, who are pre-millennial, in my opinion, they, they just tend to be, on average, somebody who overdoes it. Like everything that happens, up oh, there was a fulfillment of that prophecy. Up oh, there's a fulfillment of that prophecy. And so it just becomes a, you just... And my, it makes you look a little uh, just neurotic about things. And so people typically kind of hear end times and they think, oh, here comes another one of those nuts who thinks that everything is a fulfilled prophecy. And I think there's there's a legitimacy behind that concern. But like I said, and this is what I say on my tweets and my things that I hand out, is that this is getting impossible to ignore now. These, these legitimate stage-setting things for biblical end times. And again, I, I, every generation, anytime you talk about any end times with anybody, the Lord's returning soon, the rapture's going to happen soon, it seems like every single generation has always felt that way. And, and so there's, there's, that's a legitimate issue, but uh, my, the biblical answer is it will happen sometime. It may not happen in the near future like I believe it will, but it may happen 10,000 years from now. But it will happen because it's written in Scripture. And when God writes something, He cannot lie. It will come to pass. The Lord will rapture His church one day. He, there will be a seven-year period, a tribulation period. Israel will repent and believe. He will return. And they, all in the millennial, those things will happen. Again, now we're just I'm trying to dis, uh, discuss whether there's enough legitimate stage-setting events that are occurring right now, and I, I'm beyond thinking that it's possible. I'm I'm 
beyond thinking that it might. I'm to the point where I'm thinking I'm surprised something the rapture or you know tribulation this thing's haven't even occurred yet because there's there's it just seems so imminent. And so that's why I do, I'm doing this podcast, and yet it's not specifically targeted towards the coronavirus or, or anything else. But again, you just it, it, a lot of people are asking, and so that's one of the reasons I'm going to make this podcast. And I've done other tweeting and pinning and other thing else that are that are, and I'm trying to point to biblical events, biblical uh, tribulational events that have to occur, and, and trying to pull in and show that. Look at what's going on in the world. You see, this is being set for this. This is being set for that. This is being set for that. To the point where I believe it is uh, the right thing to do to talk about it. Uh, again, not in a neurotic, crazy way. Not in a, you know, because again, the believing in the tribulation period is not what saves a person. Uh, believing the gospel is what saves a person. And the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins. That means you confess your sinfulness from your heart. To God, it's a brokenness over your sin. It's not a, it's not a obedience. It's not stopping doing this or stopping doing that. It's just coming to the conclusion: oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble, like the the tax collector in Luke. I think it's chapter 18. It's chapter 18 or 13. I think it's chapter 18, where he says, "Be merciful to me, God, the sinner." The brokenness over your sin, and then you you believe the gospel. You believe who Jesus Christ is—that He's truly man, He's truly God. And, and the repentance, the brokenness over your sin, the hopelessness over your sin will cause you to trust only in his finished work, which is his perfect life, death on a cross for the sins of sinners, and resurrection. You trust only in that for your salvation, and you will be saved. And so that's the gospel. And, I, you know, if you're not a believer, I pray you, that's the most important thing you hear on this podcast. And, uh, and so... But going back to my point is that, is that you're not saved by recognizing oh wow that this looks like a eschatological situation happening here but i do t- i'm to the point now and and uh, i pray to the lord that i'm not going beyond what i ought to go to when it comes to these things but i'm legitimately trying to plant seeds again preaching the gospel because the gospel has to be heard and believed and to, to be saved and you have to hear of christ believe in christ but I'm also planting seeds of, hey, you know what? This because everybody's paying attention. Everybody's paying attention, and my typical statement is, I believe this is stage setting for the end of the age and in the return of Jesus Christ after the tribulation period. And, and the, the thing I try and point to is, if you see, and it begins with a seven-year peace agreement, very specific. It begins with a seven-year peace agreement with Israel and nations. Okay, I don't even really focus them on who makes the deal with them, the Antichrist. Sometimes I do, but more, more importantly, I'm just planting a, plant a seed of, if you see a seven-year peace agreement made with Israel, then you have entered into the tribulation period, biblical end times. And you should immediately, and I'm just trying to plant seeds so they would remember they heard this or read this or saw this, and, and remember, and my, my, what I say is that if you see this happening, believe the Bible. And believe more importantly that Jesus Christ is Lord, because that's how you become saved. Is as we just talked about, you believe and put your faith in Christ. So I'm ultimately trying to point them to Christ, but I am finding it to be a, a, a seed planter now. Of I think we're close enough to where people, many people alive that I talk to or tweet or whatever else, will see this event happen, and they. Pray, and again, it takes 
regeneration of the heart to believe the gospel. So, you know, just because somebody says, oh, you know, oh, look, seven-year peace agreement. I heard that somewhere before. That doesn't mean they'll believe in Christ and get saved, but, but God can use that. And I'm just trying to throw seed everywhere now. Seed of the gospel, seed of this, but it's just one more additional weapon, I believe, to plant in people's minds. And that's kind of the reason I'm doing this podcast is, you know, if, 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 if and again, I'm not even talking about the rapture. Of course, if you see, if their event happens and, and, and many people are gone, there will be all kinds of explanations for that. And uh, that would be the rapture of the church. And that obviously would be another indicator. Okay, I heard people talk about the rapture of the church. That means the Bible must have some validity to it. And you, you know, and, but again, you you seek Christ. You don't seek information about eschatology. But I don't even say I don't mean not even planting that seed all that much. I'm planting more of the seed of the seven-year peace agreement that would be made with Israel, because um, like I said, I, for whatever reason, I feel like it's more people will receive that instead of people disappearing right now uh, more openly and then like I said I'm trying to put that in their mind pray the Lord would use that at the proper time if that if it does happen in the very near future like I believe it will then they would possibly say okay here's that seven year peace agreement somebody told me up front that I should look to the Bible and that the Lord would open their heart to believe in Christ so that's kind of the idea behind this podcast yeah, so those are the typical four things. Israel, a nation, wanting a peace agreement, Syria, Iran, and Russia forming an alliance, and the desire for the third temple. Those are the ones I typically just stick to because they're the ones I've noticed the, that they set this, those are legitimate, necessary things that would set, set the stage for the tribulation period. Um, but, and obviously, and again, I say this sometimes too, I'm not even talking about the earthquakes. And the in the volcanoes and the incredible weather events and the the uh, social anarchy. Now we're we're talking about a month ago before what we're talking. I mean the world's way different than it was a week ago with a, with this virus. I mean they, this has got everybody's attention. But even before that, people were already going the crazy world we live in. Crazy world we live in. And so I've already I've already been talking about this, but now with the COVID nineteen virus and the world shutting down and uh, and then who knows exactly how this is going to affect everything obviously we we have a global world already and as we you know in the tribulation period the, the antichrist will take over a one world government there will be one ruler eventually over everything and i don't know how that if that'll be broken down into divisions and this and that but ultimately we will have a global government and we'll have a global false religion and that is another thing i forgot that's the one issue i forgot to talk about is and I put that in number two usually. I don't know why I forgot that. But yes, obviously another indicator of that we could be approaching the end times is the massive desire for a one world religion. And then this is being led by Pope Francis. Now he had a whole bunch of stuff coming up here planned on kind of bringing everybody together. He's already been doing it for years now. Um, there's things on YouTube that you can watch that are mind-boggling. The leaders of, and these are all false religions. Catholicism is a false religion. It's not Christianity, but I'm not going to go down that road right now. Um, but and I'm not saying Pope Francis is the false will be the false prophet. So what you have in the in the tribulation period is you'll have a man who rules the one world religion, um, and and you'll have the Antichrist will rule the one world political government, and he eventually will claim himself to be God and, and rule the 
religion is also. But the first three and a half years, there will be a one world religion where things are tolerated. And, uh, and so you have this one world religion that ends up having to all bow the knee to Antichrist, take the mark and everything else. But the first three and a half years, there is a one world false religion where everybody comes together, believe it or not. Uh, Islam, Catholicism, Hinduism, they all come together and form this one world religion. And, and you, you already, you can see the ecumenical seeds being planted for decades now. Um, not to go down into details there, but, but recently there's been a massive surge for that. And again, it's led by Pope Francis. He is really, really pressing this forward. And it'll be interesting to see what happens because I think it was sometime in early May. And I thought he had something in March. We're kind of like bringing everybody together and you know one humanity kind of deal, educational things, and now obviously all that's going to be put on hold probably. Now May, that's a little ways off. This this COVID-19 could be resolved or or to the point where people can resume group gatherings again. Um, but that was something else that is very very noticeable and eschatological. So I forgot that for whatever reason. A strong desire for a one-world religion is another one of those indicators. And so those are usually the five that I focus on. Also, I mentioned casually, typically, that the increase in earthquakes, that's, that's, a, that's a scientific fact. And there was another earthquake today. Like I said, this is March 18, 2020 in, in Utah. I think it was a 5.7. And they're anticipating another big one there, a bigger one there. For I don't know why. They, they don't think that's the end of it. But there's been earthquakes in Tennessee. There's been earthquakes in North Carolina. There's been earthquakes throughout the world and big ones. And obviously Puerto Rico. And there are many over, the, you know, uh, that has been on the increase. Volcano eruptions, weather patterns fires in Australia I mean just think about that that was the big world news two months ago now it's like that didn't even happen that's just how fast things are going how incredibly every day there's something it's where I, I just forgot about that until I just thought about that they're massive almost wiped out half their continent these fires so these are massive things and again I think I'm, those are in my opinion these are the beginning of birth pangs that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24-7 I've kind of read through that passage a few times and and I'm not exactly sure if that's specifically talking about in the beginning of the in the tribulation period those events because they will increase even more. I believe the earthquakes and all those things will continue to increase during the tribulation period. But I do believe that he teaches that these things increase towards the end of the age before the tribulation period as well. And so you see that, and everybody notices that. There's not anybody on the planet that's not saying the world is really strange right now. Now again, unbelievers are going to blame it on climate change, they're going to blame it on this, that, and the other. They're going to blame everything but simple humanity. And God is setting the stage for Israel and all these other, anything, you know, anything but what the Bible teaches. So you hear all kinds of explanations, but everybody notices we live in insane times. And again, this is all before this coronavirus breakout that is, I never thought that, you know, it would, that the, we would, the country would react like we are. I mean, here's what's happened. Like I said, this is March 20th. No, I'm sorry, March 18th, 2020. In the last three days or four days, the stock market has gone like up to down 2,000, up 700, down 23,000, up 1,300, and today it was down another 1,400. I'm never, ever, the Friday, I would say, what is today? 
today is Wednesday. I think it was on Monday where it went down 2,900, almost 3,000 points. And that was the highest point drop in one day. Not the highest percentage, I don't think, but the highest point drop in the history of the world. In the history or the history of the country, obviously. And it was just like ho-hum. And then, so I'm riding around doing uh, post-it notes. I, I cut grasses. What, how I earn a living. And um, so I'm out doing advertising. And I was just sitting there thinking the other day, you know, I just turned on the radio and, and, and Canada shuts its borders and the stock market's down 3,000 points. And that just didn't even, didn't even cause me to go, oh, wow. I mean, it's just how usual the unusual is now. It's like it doesn't even make you flinch. doesn't even make you flinch. And as I got home, and I was just like, I was like, hey, yeah, you know, just a couple more countries shut down their borders and stock market crashed again. Hey, it's just another day in the, in the life of the world. And it's like it really is almost incredible to the point where it is it is very noticeable by everybody. And so this can, so, again, my, my idea here is to clarify a couple things. As I said at the beginning, you're, we're not in the tribulation period. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is not the tribulation period. That begins with the seven-year peace agreement made with Israel. Seven years, very specific. Not seven years and a month, not six, six years and 11 months. It is specific to seven years. And so if you're a Christian, you can breathe and say, okay, we're not in the tribulation period. Whether you believe in a pre-trib rapture like I do or not, you can say, all right, this is not the tribulation. And there are many people claiming seals are being broken and we're in the tribute and they're just they don't have a clue as to what they're talking about they're either they're either ignorant or they're just trying to inflame things i don't know and, and again I'm, I'm i say that humbly knowing that everything that i have is from the lord any understanding that i have correct is from the lord so i shouldn't say it like that but i'm just saying that it's 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 just it's not we're not in the tree i'll just say that we're not in the tribulation period but the stage is being set for, for the tribulation period. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. And what the tribulation period is about, it's there will be a lot of people being saved. There are people who teach that, you know, if you reject the gospel before the tribulation, before the rapture, and then after the rapture, you can't get saved. That's not, I don't believe that's true. I believe there will be massive gospel preaching, true gospel preaching, in spite of the false one world religion. It'll be tolerated to a certain degree in that first three and a half years. Um, and I think there will be massive salvations because... You'll have the gospel, and you'll have all kinds of things, but you also have the Bible living itself out in real time. And in the, the book of Revelation, you'd be able to explain going to Daniel 9 and be able to explain. So there will be massive salvation. The reason we know that is because it says it in the, talks about a whole mass of people up there in heaven been martyred. And then John asked, where do these people come from? He said, don't you know? It's the tribulation saints. So there's people who die in the tribulation for their faith, um, who, and it's a massive amount of people. And my my idea has been, and I still stand by this pretty firmly. But again, we can't be dogmatic about a lot of eschatology. Um, is that there will be massive gospel preaching, mass, massive salvation in the first half of the tribulation period, and then when that midpoint happens, and the antichrist sits in the temple and he claims to be God, and all the false religion is is destroyed. And it has to be all, it's, you have a choice, then you have to worship the Antichrist, take the mark, or you die. And so I think there's a massive amount of genuine conversions in the first three and a half years, and then they refuse to take the mark because they realize, the scripture says, you take the mark, you go to hell. And so the, I think the, 
most of the people, about 99% of the people who refuse to take that mark will already have been converted. And they know, I, I die, I'm with the Lord, and I'm not taking the mark, I promise you that, because this is the Antichrist. And they know it. And anybody else who hadn't been converted, well, you'd see their predicament in their mind is in unbelief. They say, well, either I take the mark or I die. And they, they don't have a clue what happens after death if you're an unbeliever. And so they think, well, I'm going to survive. I'll take the mark. This guy isn't that bad. And hey, and he, there's all kinds of other fake wonders and everything else. Not to go do, uh, too much detail into the book of Revelation. Um, and then I think that's when a lot of those martyrs get just massacred. Just massacred. They refuse to take the mark. Boom, you're just massacred. And that's what causes a lot of the the martyrs to be in heaven, praising the Lord and everything else. And then, that's, then that last three and a half year time period, the whole seven years is... is is directed towards Israel. It is about pure. That's where you go to Daniel nine. This the seventy weeks of Daniel is about. It's about cleansing Israel. And uh, and so that but there's a seven year time period that happened that has yet to happen after the Messiah was cut off, killed, and so the, the clock has been stopped ever since. There's been sixty nine weeks fulfilled of this cleansing, and there's one week left. And that week matches up perfectly with the book of Revelation, which is the seven-year time period that precedes the return of Christ to save Israel. Uh, and so the, the seven-year the seven tribulation period is primarily about purging Israel to a believing remnant. There's not all Israel is going to be saved in there. What, as far as I can tell, those who enter the, the, the eth true ethnic Jews who enter the tribulation period, two-thirds of them will be killed and, and die in their sins. There, no Jews automatically saved. Even now, obviously now, you got to believe in Christ. They got to believe in, in their Messiah, just like we have to believe in the Jewish Messiah to be saved. And uh, and two thirds of them will will not make it through the tribulation period. They'll reject, and they will end up being killed, and they will they will die in their sins. Um, and then one third will be preserved by God sovereignly, and then they have a national conversion at the end of the tribulation period. They all individually yet simultaneously believe in their Messiah. They look, like Zechariah 12 says, they look on the one they pierced. They finally realize what they've done. And they finally receive Christ. And I was watching a, a, a video of uh, that, this, the leader of the Temple Institute, and he asked him if he would ever consider whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. He, they'd rather die. They'd rather go back to Auschwitz, is what he said. And so they have, a, they have a, right now they have incredible unbelief. Like there's individual Jews being saved, but not many. But that point will come at the end of the tribulation period where they will all believe individually, simultaneously, and that will trigger Christ's return to save them. They've already been saved spiritually, and then he will save them physically from the invading armies. And so but my point here is that that seven-year seven time period is set out by God to purge Israel to the believing remnant. And the first three and a half years, there seems to be a lot of Gentile salvations as well, and then that second year, three and a half year period, I think really God really focuses in on purging them to the remnant, and then at the end of it, they do all get saved. And so, like I said, that'd probably be about all I got here. Um, I typically, like I said, I've, it's been a while since I even talked about eschatology, but uh, my point here is, and I already shared the gospel. Uh, you don't, you don't want to wait and say, well, okay, I hear what this guy says. If rapture happens or if there's a seven-year peace agreement, well, then I'll believe then. Well, you might not make it. You might, today might be your last day. Tomorrow might be your last day. 
And I'm not, I may be wrong about the timing of this. I don't think I am. I don't know when. The scripture is very clear. Don't set dates. If anybody ever sets a date and tells you it's coming tomorrow or the next week, ignore the rest of the, what they have to say because they're already in disobedience to the scriptures. Do not know specific. I just see the stage being absolutely teed up. But so you don't want to say, well, I'll wait and see if there's a seven-year peace agreement, or I'll wait and see if there's a rapture, or I'll wait and see. No, the, the the day of salvation is today. You may not live to see tomorrow. You may not live to see the tribulation period begin. You may not live to see the rapture if I'm right on these things. And so today would be the day, again, as I talked about earlier, genuine Christian salvation is this. Is I have a gospel tract that I have, and I post this and tweet this, and you do a lot of Reddit activity. Is I said the gospel in 30 seconds. The gospel is not complicated. The gospel, there's a lot of people out there who... A lot of churches out there who, who claim to teach Christianity, and they don't have the they don't have the biblical gospel. It's about moralism, or it's about being baptized, or it's about doing the mass, or about doing this. And genuine salvation is this: first, you have to know you need genuine salvation. And so, when you hear the word repent and believe, it's it's the biblical command to an unbeliever: repent and believe. Is it's not saying you need to fix yourself, that you need to start obeying the law and then believe on Christ to be saved. That's not what repentance means. Repentance means brokenness over your sin. It's mourning. It's an inward brokenness over your sin. And so before you can receive Christ as your Savior, you have to know you need a Savior. Before you can believe that He died for your sins, well, you have to know that He, he, he had sins. You had sins. Sorry, Christ didn't sin. You had sins that He needed to die for. And so there, there's that, there's the issue of, okay, I'm in trouble. That's what repentance is. And it's not just a, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner, blah, you know, no, no emotion behind it. It is like, oh, good grief, I'm in trouble. Because you are, because we all are. And the, the biblical standard is perfect righteousness, one sin, condemnation. And that's a joke to say anybody's ever sinned less than every minute of every hour of their life. But so you, so you, repentance is a confession of your sinfulness from your heart to God. It has to be real. It can't be like, yeah, I'm a sinner. It has to be, all right, Lord, I'm in trouble. And then you reach, and then you believe in Christ. And what does that mean? What does it mean to believe the gospel? What is the gospel? It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. The person is that He's truly God and He's truly man. He's both. He He was the eternal Son of God, and He added a human nature. And so he's the God-man. So you got to believe that Jesus Christ is God. You can't believe he's a prophet. You can't believe he's the Archangel Michael. You can't believe that he's, he's just a good moral teacher. You have to believe that he is God because he is. He's the one true God. Not to go into the Trinity too deep, but he's, he, there's one God, and, he, and the one true God is fully shared by three distinct eternal persons, uh, co-equal, co-eternal persons. And he's the eternal son added flesh. So you have to believe that Jesus is God. Not a God. Not close to God. Not he's the highest created thing. No, he's the one true God. And he's truly man as well. And then you trust in his work. Again, this is kind of built into the repentance issue. If you realize you're hopeless, then you trust in his work. And he, here's his atoning work. His perfect life. He lived without sin. He died on a cross for the sins of sinners. And what that means is that he was treated as if he committed all the sins of anybody who would ever believe in them, believe in him. That means that anybody who comes to faith in Christ, like, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus Christ. I've been converted about 12 years ago. He was treated on the cross, and specifically, I think, during the three hours of darkness, 
Mark 15:33. I believe that's when he drank the cup. He was treated as if he committed all of my past, present, and future sins. Of course, they were all future back then because I wasn't even close to being born yet. But as I stand right now, all my past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. They've been treated. He's, he was treated as if he committed them. And so that's what atone as he paid for my sins. He died for my sins. A lot of people don't understand what it means. What does it mean that Jesus died for my sins? Well, it means that uh, first off, if you believe in him, he died for those who believe in him. He doesn't just die for the world and give it a blanket, get out of hell free card to everybody, regardless of whether you believe and trust him or not. No, he died for people who believe in him. So you have to believe in him. But if you do come to faith in him, if you obey the command to believe in him, then he will have been treated as if he committed all of your past, present, and future sins. And then so he, at salvation, your sins are forgiven because of that, because of what he did on the cross for you. He was treated as if he committed, he experienced your hell that you will experience if you don't believe in him. And then you're covered by the righteousness of Christ. You're covered by his perfect life. And so it's called double, double imputation. And that's the true biblical conversion. And it's settled. Your justification is forever settled at that point. If you humble yourself and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And you will be saved then. It's not a potential salvation. You're justified, declared righteous immediately and permanently. And then you become indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And then He sanctifies you. So, yeah, a lot of people say, well, if it's salvation by grace through faith and it happens at a point in time and you're eternally secure, which you are, then why can't you just go out and rape, murder, steal, and everything? And 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 I always say this, tongue-in-cheek, kind of. Technically, you can. But here's the reality, is that if you get converted, you are dwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, and He changes your your heart. And uh, actually, I think it happens even before you repent. So if if you're really broken over your sin, you're not going to want to go out and do it again. So true conversion will always lead to a changed life. But that changed life... Hear me clearly here. That changed life has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. And so a lot of Christians, genuine Christians, struggle looking at their life. They're converted. They believe. And they're looking at their life. And they hear they hear bad teaching that you can lose it or that you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. And so they get worried. And, and of course, I look at my best day, my best hour, and I would be worried because I'm unrighteous still. I live in unredeemed flesh. I battle by the power of the Spirit good grief if you'd known me when I got converted till now you'd say God is real because there ain't no way in the world he could have been changed like that on his own and that's all the work of the Lord all the work of the Lord but like I said that has absolutely nothing to do with my conversion your genuine Christian conversion happens at a point in time when you believe and it's by the power of the spirit you are declared righteous you're covered by Christ's righteousness. All of your sins have been treated as if he or he was treated as if he committed them. So you're, you're permanent. And then you get indwelled, and then you get you get transformed. And sometimes, honestly, the Christian life is a lot of pain and a lot of uh, suffering, not just from persecution because you stand for Christ, and you will. If you get converted, you'll stand for Christ. One thing I always know, when I remember a little bit before I was converted, but not much, but, but a lot of people look at the the conviction I have in Jesus Christ that there's and this is what I say to him like here's what I do know I said I I believe and I'm sitting in a black car right now I believe more in the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord he is the one true God than I do this car I'm sitting in is black I mean I can't I'm, I'm and I mean that truthfully I know the car I'm sitting in is black 
I'm saying that I had that conviction and that that absolute firm belief. It's not a belief; it is a certainty that Jesus Christ is Lord. And people say, "Well, how do you? You can't see him. You don't know for sure. That's just your opinion. You were raised like that. You've been influenced." And I, and I, again, from their point of view, I see everything they're saying, and I understand why they think that. But what happens at conversion, when you're indwelled by the Spirit of God, this is supernatural saving faith that you receive. And it's not, it's not just some guess. You're not just like, yeah, I'm believing in Jesus because maybe. No, when you're regenerated, it is certain faith. And it is you, you actually develop a relationship with the one true God. The Spirit of God, okay, who is God, just as much... As Jesus Christ is God, just as much as God the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Again, one God, fully shared by three persons. They're all co-equal, and so we have three persons that are God, but only one God. So we might as well go down the trying to explain that too much right now, as I almost did earlier. But the, the Holy Spirit is also the one true God, and He indwells you, and so you know it. You're certain that Jesus Christ is Lord and you're certain of course God the Father and you have a relationship with God the Father through the Son you have a relationship with Jesus Christ it just you, you, it, 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 there's no somebody there's nobody who gets converted that's, that is really going you know I wonder if this is real or not now you may struggle and you may struggle with assurance especially if you backslide into sin and, and, and I have been there and you can you can get yourself into all kinds of doubts and things like that but you, you never, I don't think you ever really truly you know, when I was in a, a really dark, chastening time period, and I might have, I might have said this before on the, on a podcast before, but I was trying not to believe. That's how angry I was. Again, I had no right to be angry with God. I was one. I was just living in. I wanted. I was in idolatry, and He started to pluck at my idolatry, and I was mad. Uh, I I was twisted, deceived in so many different ways. But I remember thinking to myself, "Okay, I'm going to spend today." trying not to believe because I don't want to believe anymore I was so angry and I couldn't I remember kind of laughing at you know not really too funny but because I was really in sin but I remember thinking I can't stop believing because of course I'm regenerated I'm indwelled anyway he ended up pulling me out of that but but that's the kind of faith that any true Christian has that doesn't mean you have the same level of that as because I know Christians who are truly born again and they get to the point where they'll say man I don't even know if I'm saved and so the, the devil can attack you in different ways and make you doubt different ways. But, but true Christians, you're indwelled by the Spirit of God. It's a certain faith. It's a certain faith. You won't guess anymore. But it takes conversion to do that. And it takes you to humble yourself to do that. It takes you to, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. And again, that can only happen by the power of God. And so a lot of people who struggle with, okay, hey, you're not going to see, you know, the Bible says nobody's really seeking God, but until God begins to work in their life, and so I've, I've, I've assumed they're in a draw, they're being drawn to the Lord, because it really does seem like, you know, I want to believe in Jesus, but I just can't, and you know, first couple things I say, the only two things I say typically are, the Bible teaches unbelief is a love for sin, always. The, the reason for belief is a love for sin. It's not that you can't believe. It's that you don't want to believe because you've got something in your life you don't want to give up and you know you'll have to if you come to Christ. And there, there is the issue. So I always say, hey, if you really are kind of seeking here and struggling here, the question I'd ask myself is what do I love in my life that I know has to go to come to Christ, that I know Christ will not tolerate? What is it and that I'm refusing to let go of right now? There's your issue. There's your issue, and then you got to ask your question. And then you get, and then the second part is, 
Ask God for the grace to overcome that love for sin. Ask God for the grace. Ask God to give you faith. I, I mean, like I said, I'll just say, ask Him to give it to you. Because, he, you know, we command people to repent and believe. I typically won't say you need to have the Spirit of God give that gift to you in order for that to occur, because that's true. So I don't want to complicate unnecessarily the issue, because the command is legitimate. Anybody can and should repent and believe. But they need the grace of God to actually want to do it. And so that's why um, when I see somebody struggling and I see, you know, they ask me for their advice, those are the two things I point to. Hey, you got something in your life. You know you got to get, you know that Christ will not tolerate, the true and living holy God will not tolerate, and you know it. And it's, a, it's, your, it's your number one idol usually. It could be sexual sin. It could be drinking. It could be drugs. It could be pride. It could be all kinds of things that, that you just refuse. You know, and there's the issue. You got to make a choice. Do I want to, do I want to, Get, let this go and have my sins forgiven and, and have fellowship with the one true God or do I want to hold on to this sin die in my sins and go to hell forever Because that's, those are the two choices those are the only two choices and like I said I ask God for the grace ask God for the grace to do it and he will if you, if you genuinely ask if you genuinely call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ says himself anybody who comes to him he won't cast out the only thing that is keeping anybody from coming to Christ is their own unwillingness to come. That's it. Christ will receive anybody who comes to him. That's how free the grace is. Free. Again, you know, I'm, if you ever listen to anything, I'm a Calvinist, and I just talked a little bit about that. you got to have grace and everything else. But the Bible commands everybody to repent and believe, and you're condemned if you don't. And he will receive you freely if you, if you come to him. But again, you have to ask for the grace. You need you need uh, help from God to do that. But like I said, typically, I'm praying that this this coronavirus and this situation will cause a lot of people, on a on a human level at least, to recognize their mortality and recognize here's the here's the thing that really hits me too that I you know as a Christian, understanding what's to come and at least in, in some time it will, and probably soon. I get dependent upon the world. I get dependent upon you know, when this, this when this thing hit, when this thing hit, uh, my initial turn wasn't to the Lord. It was a little bit. It was kind of like lip service, but it was more, I uh, looked to the president, looked to what's Congress going to do and what's this going to do. And so these things expose idolatry, expose where, where do you turn? That's uh, If you ever want to know where your idol is, just when something stressful happens, where do you go? What's your immediate reaction? Where do you? Who do you go to? What do you go to? There's your idol. There's your number one idol. We all got more than one of those, but that it kind of exposed that. So I think Christians have had to deal with some of that. But also, I think on a human level, uh, it should show you, at least looking at the world right now, and you see how utterly incapable it is to handle the coronavirus in a any kind of a, uh, my opinion. I'm not trying to be critical, but in a reasonable way, or at least in a in an efficient way, you can see how hopeless the most powerful governments in the world are against a virus that is, you know, overtaking the world. And so it, it should show, hopefully on a human level, how futile putting your hope in money, politics, anything else is, because it is utterly hopeless. And I hope this causes people to examine themselves and to say, okay. There's no hope here in this world. I need to find what, where there is hope. And, and mainly you need to seek 
where there is forgiveness because that's what the gospel and salvation is all about is about the forgiveness of sins that you need because it's not bad enough that you die from the coronavirus it's worse that if you die in unbelief it doesn't it gets way worse than dying physically and that's just the biblical truth so I didn't mean to turn this into more of an evangelistic rally here at the end, but I guess I did. I guess that's always a good thing. But So that's what I wanted to go over is, just to summarize, we're not in the tribulation period, but I think we're very close to that. So people disappear, seven-year peace agreement, that's biblical. And it should cause everybody to take notice. So anybody listening to this, if you see, if you're an unbeliever, I call you to repent and believe, just like we just went through for the last 15 minutes. But if anything else, aside from that, just remember if there's a seven-year peace agreement made with Israel, that is predicted biblically a long time ago. And it will happen sometime. And, uh, and so I, th I just believe that the stage is being set and we're about to in enter into... I don't think this... I think the snowball, the birth pang snowball that leads up to the tribulation period has got too much momentum for it to be... Because I know there's been times in history where I'm sure if I was alive during World War One or World War Two, I'd have been like, hey, this has got to be it. But first off, there was no Israel. There's kind of a big thing there. You couldn't have end times without Israel. But even just assuming you didn't know that, you'd be like, well, this is, you know, and things got better. Things stabilized, and, you know, you kind of go through cycles, and that's where a lot of people will say, hey, these things are going to happen. We're going to all recover and, and maybe we will. Maybe this will be something that it just normalizes and we'll have another 20 years of stability after a couple years of difficulty here. I just don't think so. I think there's too many biblical stage-setting events that have occurred that I don't think the snowball is coming back. I think there's too much momentum on, I think there's, I don't think, I think this is, we're entering into the time that scripture, the world has been looking forward to, I mean, not looking forward to, but I mean, understanding that, you know, Antichrist, those terminologies are not new terms, you know, and the return of Jesus Christ, that's the ultimate hope, and that's not anything that's been discussed for 2,000 years now. And so I think we're the people, we're the generation, we're the time that this is going to begin to... But before the return, if you don't know Christ, then His return will not be a good thing for you. If you know Him, it'll be the greatest thing for you. And so there's the issue. So, so I think these are, these are things that are going to be developing, and again, I... I I'm just almost uh, myself, even even kind of seeing the things that I've been kind of thinking about this and writing about this and social media interaction about this for about, I guess about six months when I really started thinking, okay, I think it's legitimate to talk about now instead of just compromising my testimony, talking about end times. You know, I've been going to think, you know what, I think it's time, I think it's the right thing to do to start planting seeds of what I think is coming up. Again, I hope you listen to me and you realize I don't sound neurotic or crazy about this. I believe I'm very biblical and sound on this. Um, and so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing here. But again, the gospel is what saves. And you can be, and you, need, you don't want to wait for a seven-year tribulation period. You want to wait to see if the rapture occurs. You want to get converted today. Then that way you don't even have to go through that. Because if you get converted after the tribulation period begins, good thing. Hey, you'll spend eternity with the one true God, worshiping Him and praising Him glorified sinless body joy unspeakable instead of being eternally condemned that's a good thing right but if you get if you get converted before the before the rapture well, then you don't even have to experience the tribulation period which will be you'll be if you like i said you you'd much rather be converted in the tribulation period than not be converted um 
and, and die before the tribulation period in your sins. And so, but the ideal thing would be is to get converted today, get raptured before the tribulation period, and then you wouldn't have to experience that and you'd have eternal joy. The Lord is gracious. Like I said, he'll, re he'll receive anybody who comes to him. I've, like I said, I've lived as a Christian for 12 years. His mercies blow me away every day. Every day. And I, there's a lot of times I've told you, I mentioned earlier that my backslide, I thought I was hopeless. As a Christian, I thought I was hopeless. I thought I did so much damage to myself, and he works all those things out for his glory and for your good, and he always shows you that you're not without hope with him. Again, he takes sin. He takes sin. He takes sin seriously, including with Christians. So, just because you're forgiven eternally, and you are, all of it forgiven, all your present, future sins forgiven. If you get in sin as a as a believer, you sometimes you at least there was a couple years there where I wish I weren't even alive. That's how bad his chastening hand can be, and there's nowhere to hide. There's no way he can help you when you come under his divine chastening. All right, well, I'll wrap that up now. I said I didn't, wasn't sure how long that was going to be, and it was about exactly an hour. And so it's been a long time since so I did a long, hour-long one. But I felt like this was a responsible time to do this, and I probably won't be doing something like this again. Maybe I will if there's something new um, develops. That, that maybe I'll start doing a little bit here and there. But, but likely I just want to kind of plant those seeds of I think the time is close. I think the time is close, and hopefully a lot of people are paying attention to moral and spiritual matters now that the world has radically changed in the last week. I didn't see this coming. And so I praise the Lord that I am saved, and, and like I said, anybody out there who's listening who's lost, who doesn't know Christ, you, you can become converted instantaneously, but you got to humble yourself and believe on Him. So until next time, if there is a next time, may God bless you.